Good morning, Harvest Church. Let's come together. Let's stand and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. Amen.
Church, we're going to sing a song called New Wine. And this week, as I have been meditating on the lyrics, I've been in Matthew, Matthew 9, where it talks about how you can't have new wine in old wineskins. And you can't have old wine in new wineskins. You have to have new wine in new wineskins. And I don't know about you, but I know that God wants to bring new wine out of my life. And I know he wants to bring new wine out of your lives as well. So would you sing this with me? In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now
church, if you feel comfortable, would you just raise up your voice and sing out a song to the Lord in this moment?
God, we praise you. Jesus, you're so good. God, nothing compares to you. You have no rival and you have no equal, Jesus. You are incredible. We lift your name high. We praise you in this place, Lord. And when the world is chasing after this thing or that, Lord, in this house, we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord above all else, Jesus, because we realize our hope is in you, Lord. You are so, so, so good. And Lord, I just pray over every person here, uh, the circumstances in their lives that they're coming in with, Lord, you can address them, you can heal them, you can pour your love out on them. Jesus, your Holy Spirit is the great the wonderful counselor, Jesus. You are the wonderful counselor. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would counsel each person in this room. Lord, I just ask that each person would open their hearts and open their minds because you want to speak to us this morning, Jesus, and we want to hear from you. God, you are so good. We humble ourselves before you. We just exalt your name this morning, Jesus. We love you so much. And it's in his name, Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, you can take your seats. And uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give Jesus a hand. Woo, so good. All right. Well, thank you for being here this morning. My name is Curtis. It's great to have you all here today. Uh, if you are new here, we've got a couple things for you. We've got coffee and tea out on the patio. We've got bathrooms down these hallways uh, and water back there as well. So make yourself at home. Um, we're, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, we've got some stuff happening around here, and we just encourage you to, to connect. So one of those things is that um, to be able to connect with you, we have to have your information. We have to have some way, like your email or your phone number or something, and uh, we would love to. Uh, we would love for you to do that. Um, and that's just a way for us to be able to get you on the email updates and all of that, uh, so you can connect with life groups and really just so that your uh, walk with the Lord can continue to grow. So we want to empower you. We want to walk with you in that. So if you'd like and you haven't done it yet, or if it's been a long time uh, since you've given us your information and maybe it's outdated, you can head back to the info center and fill out your info there. Um, and we'd love to connect with you in that way. Uh, the next thing is that we've got a uh, outreach happening this next Saturday. Um, it, the Harvest Festival is going to be happening. Lots of people right outside this building that we get to love on and uh, just encourage. So um, at the Harvest Festival, we are going to be out front handing out love first and foremost. And then also we got water bottles and balloons for the kids and stuff like that. So if you want to come by, we're going to be here from 845 to noon and uh, just to love on the people coming by. They're coming right to our front doors. And so how can we pass that opportunity up? It's going to be great. So um, we'd love for you to join us. Also, we've got our Bunko for Babies event. This is going to be to support Lifeline and all of the um, unexpected pregnancies, the, the young girls and young boys, young men who are um, having unexpected pregnancies. If you want to support them, uh, head back to the Info Center and, and learn more about how you can get connected to that event. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the last thing is that the Christian ethics class that I announced last week, apparently I did a really bad job explaining it. So, um, so these are some of the questions that we're going to be talking about. Uh, in the Christian ethics class, Dr. Stacy Harmon's going to be leading it. And it's just going to be a powerful time to kind of dig into some of the harder questions in our lives. 
Um, so if Sarah lived today, would she get an IVF? Did Samson commit suicide? And are frozen embryos alive and have a soul? So these are just some of the questions that, that they'll be discussing. Um, and it just kind of helps you dig into your faith a little bit and uh, get, some, get some Bible behind you. So if you want to do that, uh, it's going to be on Thursdays at 630 in the loft. So you can sign up at the info center for that. Uh, and then uh, in just a minute, we're going to be having Jeremy come back up and he's going to share um, the second part of his series of The Veil is Getting Thinner. And it's going to be really great. But right now we're going to have you get up and meet somebody you haven't met before. And uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks. Good morning. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So glad to see you all fellowshipping. What a great Sunday morning. I gave the children's ministry the, the, the heads up that I'm going to go a little long, all right? So I guess we need every bit of 35 minutes and plus more to get through the content for today, but I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm grateful for Steve, who gave me, once again, another privilege to come and share this. Um, it seems like it's resonating with a lot of you, so I, that, that encourage, encourages me. Um, I, I hope that you're digging in. I hope you've looked at those passages. I hope you continue to do that. I, I, I hope you never just take, you know, a preacher's word for it. I hope you go back and really study and find it in the Word of God, so that Berean principle from Acts chapter 17. But uh, I'm glad to be here sharing this message. Um, once again, we're talking about the veil is getting thinner. And, and this, in this this thing that we're seeing and witnessing in around our world about the, the supernatural getting mixed or, or, or getting mingled with the natural realm. 
So what's, what we're, 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 last week we really dug into like, what's, what's going on? What, what, is, what is this? Why, are, why is the government releasing all this UFO stuff now? Why, what, why is this stuff happening? So we, we dug into that a little bit last week. If you missed that message, I would really encourage you to go back after this and, and listen to that. Um, dig in, study. But um, so as we dig in, let me just give you the answer. Jesus is the answer, okay? Jesus is the answer. Let's pray and we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the complexities in it. We thank you that uh, uh, my daughters, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, can read your Bible and know it and understand it and come into a saving knowledge, Lord. But we're also thankful for uh, a lifetime of study could never mine the depths of which your holy scriptures have, Lord, and what they, how they speak into our life and our culture, our context the things that we're going through, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that we would have uh, the wherewithal to, have, uh, to dig into the meat of the word of God, to be able to chew on these things, Lord. So, Lord God, as we open up your scriptures, Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Let me tell you about three rebellions in the Bible. Because to the, 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 um, to the biblical authors, to the, the first century Jews, there was, there was three main rebellions that they understood that we've kind of lost sight of. We, we, we know the first rebellion. That was the rebellion that happened in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of mankind, the fall of Adam, that sin that was passed on through Adam's sin of, of disobeying God, he, the, the sin that came upon him and the death. Uh, that, how that was passed on th through Adam to us now. We understand that Jesus came to undo and to pay for the penalty of that sin by dying on the cross, thereby giving us life. We understand that as Western Christians. That is accurate. But what we miss is that there actually in the Old Testament, there was two more divine rebellions that happened. And it all goes back to Genesis chapter 1 through 11. The more you understand, the more you dig into what was happening in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, the more the, you will unlock the different complexities of the Bible, of the Word of God. Revelation will become something that you will understand more greatly as you understand the context of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. The second rebellion is what we really talked about last week, the rebellion of the sons of God. See, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God made man in his own image, and he placed his own uh, code into us. But then the sons of God in their rebellion in, in, in Genesis chapter 6, they came and they tried to implant their own image on humanity. That's what the whole thing was. It was the mixing of the sons of God with the daughters of, of, of men. And so that was Genesis chapter 2, this, this second rebellion these angels, these sons of God, rebelled of God's natural habitation for them. And Jesus, in his ministry, was, came not only to undo the fall of our sin of Genesis chapter 3, but he also came to, to, to reclaim and to undo the sin of these sons of God. That's why Jesus, so often throughout the scriptures, we see that Jesus came against many demons. Like Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Oh, wait a second. There's a church, and there's a man with an unclean spirit, a demonic spirit within him, a church. It still happens today. 
But that man began to climb out, you know, uh, who, let us alone. Who have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? You, did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus cast him out. He rebuked him, caused him to be quiet because Jesus came to undo the fall of the sons of God. And not only that, but all three gospels record that Jesus went up onto a mountain and was transfigured before his disciples and then was joined by Moses and Elijah. That is because Jesus was showing himself to be greater than these sons of God. He was showing not only his disciples, but he was showing the evil spiritual realm that he was God in flesh and he was coming for them. The third rebellion that we find in Scripture is the rebellion at Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he says, go out and be fruitful and multiply. But one of those sons decided that they were not going to do that. They were going to then gather up the nations into one, and they were going to build a tower, remember, to try to get above the flood as well, but to build a tower to, to get to the heavens. And so they were building this tower. They gathered the nation into one place under the leadership of one person into one government. And not only that, but they satanically led uh, this merging technology, human-centered occultic religion, and a global government. All that was found in the this supernatural rebellion in Genesis chapter 11. This is what uh, Todd Hampston, who wrote the book, The Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, it has, if you look at the book, the front of the cover, it's corny, but it's really in-depth. So I, re I recommend this book at the Parable Bookstore, uh, The Nonprofit's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. This is what he said about Babylon. Babylon means gateway to God or gateway to the gods. Several times in scripture, fallen angels are referred to as lowercase g, gods. At the Tower of Babel, man and evil entities were attempting to work together through the veil that separates the seen and the unseen realms in open defiance against the Lord, knowing that with that, they would, uh, that rebellion would incur God's judgment. That's what was happening at Babylon. So how did Jesus undo that? Well, you see, at Babel, the languages and the nations were divided, Deuteronomy 32, that says, within that division, Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 through 9, says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people Jacob, his allotted heritage. So this is when God divided the nations, not only to divide the languages and he sent out nations, is that he also put over the, these different nations supernatural powers, these divine, these sons of God, these divine beings. And he gave them over to him. That's why we see a Daniel, when Daniel's in Persia, the, he, he, his prayers were withheld by the prince of the, uh, the, prince of the Persia. He was withheld by the spiritual force that was overseeing that nation because God had given that nation to that, according to Deuteronomy 32. But God claimed for himself Israel and Jacob's allotted heritage. That's why in Jesus' ministry, Jesus first sent out his 12 disciples. That's who his important ministry was, to reclaim the, the nation of Israel what they were called to be, the light of the world. He sends his 12 disciples out 
And then when they come back, they bring good report. And then later on, we see Jesus sends out the 70. Is it, have you, any of you ever wondered why Jesus sent out the 70 disciples? We understand the 12 for the 12 tribes of Israel, but the 70 correspond back to uh, Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Noah, Shem, and, and, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's three sons, were sent out and they were divided up into 70 different nations. Go back to Genesis. Check that out. So when Jesus sends out the 70, what is he doing? He's saying, I'm not only the God of Israel, I am the God of the world, and I am reclaiming these nations for myself, showing that I am superior to that. Isn't it interesting that God is a nationalist? God believes in the rights of sovereign nations because sovereign nations hold power back from each other. Help us keep back the evil at bay. You think of when we went in and invaded Iraq, how all of a sudden Iran came to power. When we took Saddam Hussein out of power, we didn't realize that all of a sudden Iraq or Iran would come to power within the region. There was a withholding of the powers there. God is a nationalist. He believes in nations. God designed nations. So Jesus, having sent out the 70 and seeing the result back when he says that I saw Satan fall like a, like fall out of heaven, he now says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, of what Jesus did over all these supernatural entities was this. He said, and you, being alive in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You know that God is a God of justice and he's a God who believes in the legal system? God has a legal system that he has worked out for the salvation of us. God can't extend out of that because God keeps within his own legal boundaries. He's, there's handwritten requirements that were, that were against us. But after he did that, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphing over them all. That's why Jesus is the answer. That's why Jesus is the answer. He is the name above every name. So that's where we leave off this week, but let's, let's remember where we left off last week. And that last week we talked about the difference, or we left off with the difference between angels and demons. So let's get into that. Now, first of all, there's a number of different types or classes of angels. There's types, kinds, hierarchy within the angels, angelic realm. There's the seraphim and the cherubim. Those are normally found around the throne room of God. We have the archangels who are these kind of warrior angels that are given much power, much, much authority. We have messenger angels, guardian angels, and then over 70 different types of angels are described in the book of Revelation. There's a guy who recently wrote a book on 70 angels in the book of Revelation. But we don't have time to jump into those guys. Those are, I'll leave those for further study for you. But what, where we were at last week was the sons of God. That statement, the sons of God, the sons of God in the Old Testament were direct creations of God. Okay? God directly created the sons of God. So if I were going to get onto a tangent, which I'm going to, because it relates to you and I today, the tangent is that in the Old Testament, they're called the sons of God. What about now? What about in the New Testament? And that's where the genealogy is really interested, interesting. Both Matthew 1 and Luke 3 have different genealogies for Jesus. 
One follows the lineage of Joseph. One follows the lineage of Mary. Luke's lineage follows Mary. Luke, in Luke chapter 3, the genealogy, we see it all the way down from, from uh, Mary's, from Mary, her, her father, is that we follow that all the way down, the son of, the son of, the son of, until we get to Adam, the son of God. Why was Adam called a son of God? Because he didn't have a mother or father, because God directly created Adam. So how does that relate to us today? Well, that's, that's what's encouraging about the New Testament. It says, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, what about Romans 8, verses 12 through 14? Paul says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, to th these are called the sons of God. Isn't that interesting? That we, by believing in who Jesus Christ is, have been given the rights to be called the sons of God. John 1 also says, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. 1 John 3, 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We, because of Jesus, can be called the son or the child of God because we've been made a new creation in him. And that means that we are co-heirs with Christ. But we don't become angels. We don't become angels. Because we're a new creation, we're still humans. But we've been made in the image of God. Angels, when a person dies, they don't become an angel. Can I dispel that? The Bible does not teach that. Okay? We will be humans. Humans will be humans. And these divine beings will continue to be that. So back to angels, supernatural divine beings dwell, that dwell in a realm above ours, in an unseen realm. You see, we have archangels, messenger angels, guardian angels, angels unaware to us. In fact, the, the one thing that separates angels in the Bible is angels' ability to manifest into our world and even disguise themselves as humans. Isn't that interesting? Angels are able to manifest into our world, into our seen realm. Hebrews 13, chapter two, uh, 13, verse 2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Isn't that interesting? That person you bump into on the street, they might be an angel. Hebrews says, be careful. You might, you might be, that might be an angel. That because angels are able to manifest into our seen realm. And that didn't just happen, it's not just warning in, in Hebrews or, or a message in Hebrews, it's also in the Old Testament. In Genesis 18, we see uh, that Yahweh himself and two other divine beings met with Abraham in the flesh and they ate a meal together. These angels met with Lot and ate. Genesis 19, that says those two angels had to physically grab Lot and pull him out. That means that angels were able to manifest into our existence into a physical substance and pull 
Lot out of that city. And the, the, even the townsmen of, those, of that city of Sodom and Gomorrah thought that those two angels were men. That's because the angels are able to manifest. Genesis chapter 32 says that Jacob wrestled with, quote, a man in that text also described as Elohim or Hebrew for God t- twice. They had a physical struggle that left Jacob injured for the rest of his life. Matthew chapter 4, verse 11 says that angels came and ministered to Jesus after 40-day fast. Jesus in the wilderness fasting, then, then met by uh, Satan to, to try to deceive him, to try to make him worship God. Jesus was tired after that 40 days. How was he ministered to is the question. Was he just kissed on the cheek by a bunch of butterflies as they kind of like float around these angels, beings that were unseen? No, I think they brought him food. I think they brought him water. I think they brought him maybe even a pillow or a place to rest. They ministered to his physical bodily needs because they were able to manifest. In Acts chapter 5, we see that angels can open doors. We also see angels appear and speak to shepherds in the field. By speaking, we know that sound waves came out of their vocal cords. So these angels manifested into our existence and were able to speak, thereby creating creating these sound waves which those shepherds were able to hear. Angels hit the disciples or smacked Peter around to wake them up in Acts chapter 12, physically able to manifest into our world. And it's interesting that the angels throughout the Bible are always given in the masculine gender. They aren't sexless. There's a book that was written in 1830. It's called Flatland by a a, a minister who was also kind of dabbled in hobbies of of science and and physics and stuff. And he wrote this book called Flatland where there was a, um, he explained and, and brought, made to life a whole world that lived in two dimensions. So the squares or the, the, the triangles were female or males and the squares were uh, females. And they, they, he shows how they interact until one day uh, a three-dimensional, a higher being interrupted and, and, and got involved in that two-dimensional world and it blew the mind of the, the guy that was the, the triangle how this extra-dimensional being could then intercept and add. And, and I wonder how our three-dimensional world can be intercepted and, and why, why, why don't we see four or five or six or ten dimensions like there's theories of science that show? Because angels are able to manifest. So what about the fallen angels that we talked about last week and the really fallen angels? Let's talk about that. Both Peter and Jews say that both angels who rebelled at the time of Noah were cast away until the judgment. Those angels that specifically rebelled were cast away. So what that does is that leaves us two groups of fallen angels. There are those that are bound in chains or locked in Tartarus. They left their natural habitation, had sex with women, thereby breaking what God had designed them to do, and those, those ones are bound in chains. But there's also a group of angels, of fallen angels, that are still free to roam. They're the ones that rebelled with Satan but didn't leave their natural habitations. So what does that mean? 
It means that some angels, some fallen angels, are still at work in our world today. Galatians 1.8 is the warning, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to another gospel. Even if it's some supernatural being, if it, whatever it is, don't listen to it. Let him be accursed. Ephesians 6 reminds us of what we're struggling with, of what we're wrestling with. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those are different boundaries and, and, and hierarchy. What about in our history? What about our world's history? Have we ever seen or heard of fallen angels coming in contact with humans? What about the prophet Muhammad, the so-called prophet Muhammad? 40 years old, he's in a cave near Mecca, and he's, he's, he's praying to his God. And in that cave appears what he called the angel Gabriel. Now, we know the Satan that they're a liar, so they can say who they want to be. But this angel grabbed Muhammad and threw him up against the wall, and he said, he said read or recite. Muhammad said, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to read. He was illiterate. He could not read. And he slumped down. And the angel then again picked him up and threw him against the cave once again and said, read or recite. And Muhammad slumped down again once again after holding them there for a while, thinking that he's going to lose his life. He let him down again. Muhammad's like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I don't have that skill. And the angel once again the third time threw him up against the cave wall until Muhammad thought he was going to die and said, read or recite, and then finally let him go. He went back to his home, back to his wife, and hid under a blanket, not knowing what he had just dealt with. And that's how we, come, how we get the message of Islam. An angel throwing him up against the wall. Or what about Joseph Smith and his dealing with the angel Moroni? This angel that, that then gave him uh, special golden spectacles and a golden tablet and said, here, this is, read, Christianity is not correct. This is the true religion, and, and, and this is what you're going to do. That was the angel Moroni, fallen angels involved in our world today. You see, Dr. David Jeremiah said this. He said, fallen angels don't prevent us from worshiping. Instead, they change the object of our worship, something other than the almighty God. Prevent us. They don't prevent us from worshiping. They just change the object of our worship. That is why it's my personal opinion, I brought this up last week, of what UFOs are. I believe these are fallen angels distracting us, preparing us in the world for when Christians suddenly disappear. And I'm talking about the great rescue, the great snatching, where, where we will be caught up in a moment where those who believe in Jesus Christ will be snatched up and, and just gone, just off the face of the world. How is the world going to explain that? Well, they're going to they're use these UFO sites, these fallen angels that, oh, well, the angels had to take them. New Age has a belief that the world will not enter into full peace until those people who resist that are taken away. That's within the New Age belief. So it's my belief that these things are conditionings for what's to come. There's a law of prophecy that says future events cast their shadows ahead of them. Future events cast their shadows ahead of them. Turn on Discovery Plus and you'll find a whole channel loaded with the paranormal. 
Go to the History Channel. You'll have all this, all the supernatural things there. It's becoming normalized in our culture. So if angels and fallen angels are able to manifest into our world today, what about demons? What's up with them? And this is what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus taught that demons are disembodied spirits. Demons are disembodied spirits. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and find none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came, which he, and when he comes, he will find it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes it with him, seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and they dwell there, and their last state of the man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. Notice the language that Jesus is using there. It says, unclean spirit goes out of a man. Out of a man. And then later on, he says, that the demon says, I will return to my house. That because the demon wants to find a place of rest, of possession. As the son of missionaries to a third world country, I... I remember hearing some of these stories very early on about how my parents would once, a while, once in a while come across these uh, people and, and, and they would try to exercise the demons because this little girl, young age, would, from her would come the weirdest and most guttural noises and sounds and speak in, in, in horrible things and that those demons would try to hurt that girl. And so my parents spent time casting out these demons. I heard that from a young age. So what is going on? Well, Jesus spoke that these demons are disembodied spirits. They seek to find a body. And there is levels of wickedness within the demons themselves. You see, that demon didn't like whether it left or whether if it, was, it was cast out of that, that man, that person, that body that it was in. It says, well, I'm going to return there. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And he says, I'm going to take seven more, more wicked than myself so that we won't be cast out again. Out of a man, I'm going to return to my house. So where do these disembodied spirits come from? That would be the question we should ask. Where do these disembodied spirits come from? And that goes back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 says, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. We'll, we'll leave that, we'll, we'll set that aside for another time, another discussion. There were giants on the earth in those days when the sons of God came into the daughters of, of men, and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. That word giants is the Hebrew word for Nephilim. They were superior beings because they were half angel and half man. That Hebrew word Nephilim is, is a compound word. It's, it's nephal, which means fallen one. See, this was another reason for the flood, because the spiritual wickedness that had intercepted the human race, the human seed, human DNA. And that the promised Messiah of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, would, could not therefore have Satan's seed within it. 
It had to be a pure strain. That's why the Jews were so interested in their genetics, in their lineage, their family lineage. And as weird as that sounds to us, the technology today is increasing and increasing. We have this technology called the CRISPR technology, gene splicing technology, where we're able to split apart the human DNA and, thereby, and put into DNA, other blocks of DNA. Now, that sounds good when you think of how it could be used for cancer. If, there's a, if, if, if a person has a, 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 a genetic disposition that, that, that causes them to have cancer, well, you think, well, going in and removing that chunk of DNA that causes that could be a good thing. But it also can be used very nefariously. China has openly said that they're working on chimera. They're working on, and they have worked on, and they have created a live pig-monkey hybrid. Please fact check me on that. Because they eventually want to make super soldiers. They want to take human DNA and mix it with pig DNA, so you get these tr transhuman soldiers. They're working on that. This all comes down to transhumanism, that we can become something greater than God. We, we can become a hybridized. At, this, at the fall, at that second divine fall, where the sons of God came into the daughters of women, they were trying to make their man in their own image. And that is now continues to get today with the technology that we're at. So that's why Noah was chosen. Noah was found perfect in his generations, in his Toledot, because he hadn't, his genes hadn't been mixed. And it's interesting to look back at the mythology from all around the world. Every culture, even here in the Native Americans here in the U.S., claim to have some half-human, half-man demigod. And every culture around in the, in the world also has a global flood story with one family surviving it. Where these lowercase g gods coming into human women and creating hybrid superpower beings. Gilgamesh, Hercules, Achilles, all those speak to this demigods. But what happened to those Nephilim, those superpowered, those half-human, half spiritual beings. What happened to them? Well, that's why Genesis 6 over and over again says that God wiped everything out. A global, worldwide flood. They all died. Jesus talks over and over again about that flood and how it wiped everything out. You see, the understanding is that the, the, def, the Nephilim, their bodies died, but their spirits lived on. Their bodies died in the, in the flood, but yet their spirit has been left here to roam. First, or 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, talk about how our bodies are home to our spirit. That's why when people have or claim to have these near-death experiences where their spirit is detached from their body, it's because their bodies are home to their spirit. I'm told by another pastor, and, and I have not been able to verify this, so don't take this as, as, as word, but I'm told by another pastor that the common name for demons at the time of Christ was Tamu Nafal, or dead Nephilim. So if you can find that source, let me know, please, but that's what I'm told. 
And this seems to be that this was the accepted view during the time of Jesus, that demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that were killed during the flood. And they look, once again, to inhabit an animal, an object, or a body. They want to have a body again, which makes sense with Jesus talking about them being disembodied spirits. So a couple of facts on demons. Demons also, like we said, vary in wickedness and in kind. Remember Jesus in Matthew 12 says, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And then later on in Mark chapter 9, verses 28 through 29, his disciples could not cast this certain demon out. And when they had Jesus privately, they said, when they had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting was what, how that kind would come out. You see, demons seek to oppress and entice people to sin and, if possible, to possess a person. Which is the, the work that is still going on today. Why? Because they want to get a body again. They want to use human vocal cords to speak. If you look at Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8, we've, we, you hear of the, the legion, the man who had many, who was naked, who was wandering in the tomb, living in the tombs. Jesus comes and simply casts him out, but he, but he says he, he, he allowed those spirits to talk to him. I don't know why, but he allowed those spirits to then say, hey, can we go in those pigs? And those pigs ran off the cliff, and once again, those pigs died. Does that remind you of the flood story? There's a connection. The good news is a Christian, a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's pretty good. Come on, more amens on that one. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been made a new creation. You cannot be filled or possessed by a demon. Now, demons have many different kind of names. I encourage you to, to look up unclean spirits, familiar spirits, diabolos or devils. We don't have enough time to go into that today, but not everything can come down to, well, the devil made me do it, okay? We battle against a world system, against our, our own flesh, and we battle against the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But what are specific ways to open the doors to demonic oppression or for those who are not believers, possession. Let's talk about those. First one would be worship of other gods or idols. Worship of other gods or idols. Deuteronomy 32 says, When they provoked him to jealousy with their foreign gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons and not to God. To gods they did not know, new gods, new arrivals that their fathers did not fear. That's backed up in, in the New Testament with 1 Corinthians 10 when he says in verse 19 and 22, what, it, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the one, things that which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. 
You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. That is, that's, yeah. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of the demons. Or, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, by worshiping things made out of hands, the demon can then uh, occupy that object. They, they were, what they thought were they were just worshiping just statues or idols, they were actually sacrificing and worshiping demons. So you got to be careful when you, when, you, when you move into your house or if your front lawn has a Buddha statue, a Hindu statue, get that thing out of there. That has no right in a Christian's life. And even then, we still need to be careful of what we bring into our houses. My wife loves the thrift store, the thrift shop. And she brought, well, she, maybe, she, maybe she won't, yeah, I didn't ask her if I could tell the story, but she brought home this plate, and it was really pretty. It was a decorative plate. It was kind of uh, made out of brass, and it had uh, some really cool inscriptions in it, but it had this, this kind of almost writing that went around it, and, I, and I, I wasn't sure about it. And we had it in our mo- house for a number of months, and, and I remember just, just I, never, I just never felt good about that thing. Never felt, it just, just felt wrong. And during that time, my, my wife was having dreams and even kind of just strange stuff going on in the house. And I was like, honey, I think we got to get rid of that plaque. Oh, but it looks so nice. Well, no, and it, it, it just needs to go. So she ended up throwing it away. And I never followed up with it. A few months ago passed. So a couple months later, a few months ago, she's like, hey, you remember that plate? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you know, all those things I was like, experiencing, they went away when I got rid of that plate. I was like, Weird. Worship of other gods, right? Now, we never worship the plate. We did not do that, okay? <laughs> what about involvement in the cultism? Ouija boards, tarot cards, palm readers, talking with the spirits of the dead, witchcraft spells, movies, shows, even the new thing right now, crystals. These all have their foundation in the cultism. You can all bring those all the way back to Babylon, to Nimrod. These are things that we need to be careful of, and we, think we should not have any involvement. They open the door to demonic oppression or possession. Deuteronomy 18 says, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures up spirits or spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all these uh, things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from you before you. These things are, do not belong in the life of a, of a, of a, a Christian. What about alcohol? Especially too much of it. Where can you find alcohol in a store? You can find it in the spirits section. Yeah? <laughs> Ephesians 5.8 says, or 5.18 says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What is that saying? That you're going to be either filled with the Spirit or you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you're going to be filled with this unclean spirit, spirits. Be careful of that. Jesus warns about worshiping mammon, what we think of money and our wealth and holding on to it too tight, trusting too much in it. 
as a way we open up ourselves to, to the demonic realm? What about sexual sin and perversion? We open the door to, uh, of our life to these unclean spirits. We give them footholds in our lives. They are filthy and perverted. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, flee sexual, sexual immorality. Every sin that man does outside his body uh, is outside of his body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, his own, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that word for immorality or is fornication. And the Greek word is porneia. It's sexual sin, it's perversion. I'm told the average age currently is between six and eight years old that a boy sees his first pornography. Six to eight years old. Parents, be very careful with the technology that you allow your kids to have. Six to eight, open that door into the, the demonic realm where clean, un, uh, unclean spirits, filthy and perverted. The Bible also says that sexual immorality is anything outside the boundary of one man and one woman in a married relationship. Hebrews 13, 8, 4 says the marriage bed is undefiled, but anything outside of that is defiled. That includes transgenderism, bestiality, homosexuality, adultery, pornography. All of that is outside the grounds of biblical marriage, and that does not belong in the life of a Christian. In college, as I was dealing with my own struggle in this area, remember there was a night when my, my college roommate wasn't home. And I woke up in the middle of the night with temptations from a deep sleep. I didn't share this first service. Woke up from a deep sleep, and there was, next to my bed, a bean. And it wasn't there, there wasn't, it was, it was real enough to be not physically there, but there was a spiritual being in my room that was, hovering over me, and I couldn't get a word out. I was like pinned, locked to my room. All I knew, I knew that I needed to say the name of Jesus. I knew that I needed to cast that thing out, that the thing had no right to be in my room. And I struggled for a minute or so to try to finally get the words out, and that finally, that, that Jesus, that unlocked it. And this being that had a face that was standing over me, I somehow molded and just walked away out into, where, into, into the, where my roommate's room was. And about 15 minutes later, when I got the courage and finally jumped out of bed, I ran and I made sure all the doors and the windows shut, and sure enough, everything was locked up. There was a demonic being in my room that was trying to get me to sin. What about drugs as an opening to the demonic realm? We sometimes think of these things as harmless. It's just a... Just things that we do once in a while. But drugs in Revelation 19, uh, 9, sorry, Revelation 9, verse 20 through 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by those plagues did not repent from the works of their hands that they should uh, not worship demons and idols of silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent from the murders of the, or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. 
That's, that word sorceries is an interesting word because in the Greek, that word sorceries actually is the word pharmakia. Pharmakia. And that in the context of the New Testament is mind-altering substance. For a long, long time, throughout the centuries, pagans have used in their worship ceremonies different plants and different medicinal things to get high. And once they're high, they're in the altered state. They're in a higher state, and they're able to communicate with outside extra-dimensional beings. You're giving your liberty for these demons to enter your life as you do these mind-altering drugs. I'm going to show a clip. I promised it last week of, video, of Joe Rogan. He's a, a, a world-famous podcaster, one of the most listened-to podcasters. And he's going to talk about his experience using a drug, but in, this, in using this drug, he enters into something that he feels is more real than real. And from that place where he feels more real than real, he, he, he's getting outside wisdom. So let me just play this clip and we'll go from there. That's one way of looking at it that I always describe. This is what I say to people. I say, if there was a thing that you could do, like a door you could go through, and that door would take you to the, another dimension where you would communicate with some entity beyond your wildest imagination that's constantly visually changing and communicating with you telepathically and knows everything about you, sees all your and is trying to impart some ideas that will help you with your life. Because it's a godlike experience. Like you're experiencing like some sort of uh, uber-powerful entity, some uber-intelligent entity, something beyond any if we just looked at humans and thought of the, the evolution of human, one day we'll get to this. We're not going to get to that. That is a different, it seems like it's so beyond the body. It's so beyond the, the human monkey body. This is what I tell people. I go, if I could give, if you would open a door and you would go there and you'd have the, that experience, you, would you do it? And most people are like, yes, I would do it. If I gave you a drug that gave you that experience, you still have the exact same experience. It's the exact same experience. You've just decided it's not real. And you've decided it's not real because you're putting it into this category of hallucination. Like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? You're actually having that experience. I don't know what it is. There Joe Rogan is talking about how he's opening up in a door. And that goes back to Genesis, right? Cain, sin is knocking at your door and it seeks to master you. Here, here Joe Rogan is saying, I, I, I'm welcomely opening this door into my life with this wisdom from outside to come in and, and give me insight. And he's opened himself to demons. Because demons, if they are the bodies of the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, they have been around for thousands of years and they've witnessed, they know Joe Rogan's tendencies, they know each of our tendencies. They know what we're, our proclivities are. They know what, we're, what sins draw us. Everyone is, has different sins that they're drawn to. And so these demons, he's al through this drug, he's allowing, which becomes more real than real, he's allowing these things to speak into him. He's wrestling with that. Is that more, uh, something that's more real than real? It's because we are being conditioned in this culture into this day and age that, that the veil is getting thinner. The normalization of the supernatural is a trick of Satan. 
to, to steal a line from the, uh, a great movie, uh, The Usual Suspects, uh, he says, the, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was trying to convince the world he didn't exist. But one of the other tricks the devil pulls is just to get you okay with the humdrum of life, like C.S. Lewis, the, the screw tape letter. Just, just let them kind of do their thing. They're okay. But as we watch more and more and more and more come down the... In, in before us, the UFOs, the movies, the TVs, the news, the cold, we're going to be, be getting this. So we need to get back to our supernatural, biblical worldview because the world needs it. The Bible has the answers. So how do we do that? Well, one, we Jesus. Jesus is the name that above every other name. We claim the name of Jesus. If you have not claimed the name of Jesus, if you have not become a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to do that today because either Jesus will influence you or these, the unseen realm will be influencing you. You need to remove that veil from our eyes, realize that there's an unseen realm around us and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Then for some of us, we need to close the door to the demonic strongholds in our life. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, those things, those doors need to be closed in the name of Jesus Christ and those spirits cast out. We need to pick up our spiritual armor and the weapons that God has given us. He's given us directions of how to fight, how and to do that. So let's do that. Go to Ephesians 6 to look up your spiritual armor that God has given you. And we need to fight by getting on our knees in prayer. Fast when, you, when God calls you to Fast. Pick up your Bible. We need to pray and speak out against, our, against the demonic strongholds in our community, our families, and our country. These things are real. Let's pray. Jesus, we lift up your name higher than any other name. Your God in the flesh who came to save sinful man to save us so we bow our knee to you God because you've paid the price Jesus we need you we need you to fight this fight we need to be equipped for the battle Lord help us to dig into what you have for us Lord In Jesus name we pray Church, will you stand as we worship? So make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring a new wine out of me. Make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing.
the fight got brought to me. It became really personal. We bought an old house. It's a, it's a house that was built in 1934 in Santa Maria. And after moving in, we started, there's strange things happening. My daughter was saying, Dad, I'm really afraid at night. I, I, it's like I see something in the corner of my room. I'm like, oh, that's, what, what do you see, honey? And she described a, a grotesque old woman in the corner of her room. And I was like, well, that's, that's really strange. Okay, well, let's pray. Let me give you the tools. Use the name of Jesus. If you, if you sense there's something in your room, use the name of Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, be here. And that thing will have to flee. Well, talking to, then after that, talking to my next door neighbor who's a Christian as well, he's like, I've seen that exact same old haggard woman as well. I'll be alone in the house and I'll see her peek out of the, out of the corner of the room. And then another neighbor, and, and then my wife all reported, three pe different people independent of each other, not talking, all reported to seeing this, this aberration. And so we prayed, and they, I gave them the tools. I gave them, that fight got brought to me. So I said, no, there's either, I'm either gonna run from this or I'm gonna fight it. And we chose to fight. And we fight in the name of Jesus Christ. We fight in the power of God. But there is a power, there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Come forward if you need prayer. Come forward and deal with that. Come forward to submit yourself and, and to yield to Jesus today. Thank you. our prayer this morning, that the old would fall away, that we would step into the new. God, that you would bring new wine out of our lives, that any bad habits or mindsets, the 
that, that those would end today. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.